Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Eureka, the show that gets under the skin of science as we invite a new expert every week to help us answer one of science's most interesting questions. I'm Rick Edwards. And I'm Dr. Michael Brooks. And this guy is such an accomplished doctor. He has looked over thousands of pieces of research for today's episode and is actually doing so right uh, now. Have I? Am yeah, I? Yeah, yes, uh, unwittingly. <laughs> oh, that's my favourite kind yeah. of research. <laughs> yeah, it's the easiest. Uh, because the, the topic that we're sticking our beaks into uh, today is thought to be the oldest sense in any living creature. Smell. Smell. And as you know, this is one... <laughs> yeah, this is of, great for you. It's like, honestly, though, I found this doubly fascinating because if you don't know, I have quite a poor sense of smell. Although... Over the years, it has recovered. So when I was, I guess, 14, I sniffed pure ammonia, which is a very, very powerful alkali. In a school science experiment, in a, was it? Well, in a school science lesson, yeah. when I wasn't really listening, the guy said something about ammonium smelling salts. Very different, actually, to pure <laughs> ammonia. Um, and I had a cold. And I was like, yeah, I'll have a go on that. And uh, it was <laughs> excruciatingly painful, but also definitely, um, you know, damaged some of my... What are the inner workings of my nose? Um, so slowly with time, I think my sense of smell has got better, but it's definitely not at the level of, of most people. So I, I find it sort of, uh, yeah, particularly fascinating. I mean, I don't have a great sense of smell, I don't think, because quite often I'll be in a room and somebody say, oh, can you smell that? And I'm like, no. And then, but, then have a, but then have a sniff and you'll be able to get it. Yeah, you sort of have That's, to very yeah. deliberately sniff and, and then pretend you've got it because you don't want to feel left out. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've obviously done a lot of that. In my <laughs> yeah. life. But I, I now find that if someone says, "Oh, can you smell that?" and then I actively kind of, then then I will get it. Yeah, and you have to think about it, don't you? But I'm not getting a lot of ambient stuff. No, which no, I think I, is I, quite a good system. I don't get subtleties, definitely. So, like smelling like elderflower. Well, that's is... sort of generally as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> For all five of your senses. <laughs> don't do subtlety. Well, You're like, a sledgehammer guy, really. Yeah, it's taste. I mean, it's definitely so. I know taste and smell are, are sort of linked together, but I definitely oh, have. We'll get into that, don't you? Uh, right? I'm sure we will. I definitely have very unlike refined palate in terms of taste and, and really, you know, quite a basic bitch in terms of smell, I suspect, as well. Yeah. Yeah, I would. I would. Absolutely agree with that. Have you got a, a favourite smell? I mean, it, I mean, it's corny, but fresh cut grass always does it for me. People because like it, that. it reminds me of when I was like six or seven years old. We used to live opposite a park, and you know they used to cut the grass. We used to go out there, roll it all up, and like dive into it, and you know make make basically make jumping hedges for space hoppers, things like that. Yeah. So it's associated with a great deal of joy for me. Strong emotional connection. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Yeah, that's quite typical. Worst smell? Rafi's breath, probably. Is that your wife? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, actually. <laughs> yeah, a dog's breath is never, dog's is breath never is ideal, bad. is it? No. Um, I think my... I don't know if I've got a favourite smell. It might just be as simple as there's some sort of uh, body moisturiser that Ema uses that, that's nice. Yeah. It smells a sort of uh, mandarin, I think it is. Mandarin and something. Mm, mandarin. You got that from the label on the bottle, didn't you? Vanilla. It's quite sort of, it's quite sweet. And, yeah. Uh, it, it, I mean, it's, it almost feels like it tastes nice. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I imagine it doesn't, actually. No, it probably doesn't. You should try licking it, though. I don't, I don't think I will. I think you might find that a bit weird. <laughs> um, and uh, I don't know if I've got a worse 
smell, really. I do... Ammonia, presumably. I don't recall what that smelt like. Don't I, recall, you? I do recall the pain, <laughs> which was uh, significant. Um, I'd love to actually just reintroduce you to a bit of ammonia and see if you have any kind of reaction to it. You know, a sort of Pavlovian yeah, response. Yeah. Just like, ah! <laughs> um, it, was, um, it was extraordinary. I mean, so dumb. Anyway, uh, entirely <laughs> self-inflicted. But I think... The word, I did a don't want to don't want to post too much here, but of course I did a show called Fatberg Autopsy for Channel Four a few years ago, and partly, well, the main gist of it was dragging a fatberg out of a sewer and then analysing its chemical contents. It was fine. Did it win BAFTAs? Um, no, but we got quite good reviews. It actually, wasn't that bad. No, I saw it. It, um, it was all right. Actually. Yeah, it was okay, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, and there's a bit I don't know if you remember where I actually go down into a sewer with a with a sewer guy, and he says to me. Oh, this is, you know, the, the the stench down here is, like, it is bad. I mean, I'm sort of used to it, but it is bad. And I said to him, not a problem, because I don't really have a very good sense of smell, so I'm actually the perfect person for this. Um, and we went down, and uh, there's a sort of, there's like a crust, I suppose, over the um, over the, the contents of the sewer. And he said, yeah, you just break through that. So I put my boot through it, and the, the, the malodor that oh emerged was, I mean unforgivable and i and i i thought i was just immediately going to vomit yeah like yeah. i was i was retching i think this is all on camera and they obviously found it hilarious um <laughs> but it was just i can't even i can't really put it into words it was so bad um and i was uh, yeah just retching away and just thinking don't vomit on camera don't vomit on camera <laughs> even though it's good telly don't vomit on camera because <laughs> that'll follow you around yeah, yeah. <laughs> We all have those scents that have the power to take us back in time. Freshly cut grass, baking bread, maybe the smell of petrol, or newly washed bedsheets. But what determines what we like? And is there one scent that reigns supreme? That's why today we're asking, is there a perfect scent? As ever, we have recruited an expert to help us answer today's question, because it was never going to be me, to be honest, or you. Uh, today, we'll be speaking with Professor Charles Spence, who is the head of the Cross-Modal Research Laboratory at Oxford University. So he's a psychologist who's interested in the senses and the interplay of the senses. And I was particularly interested to speak to Charles, because I think we undervalue how important smell is. And he's recently come up with a book called Sense Hacking, which is all about the power of scent to affect our social, cognitive and emotional well-being. He's the ideal man for this job. Okay, so uh, what was the first question you asked him? I asked him whether scent was important for well-being. Smell is very important for well-being. You know, if you lose your sense of smell, then you're increased risk of suicide. Um, it's been suggested that uh, Michael Hutchins, of, in excess, he got into a street fight hit his head on the pavement, um, lost his sense of smell uh, and killed himself not long thereafter. So certainly on the downside, if you lose it, the emotional negative consequences are really bad. On the plus side, I think it can be very useful to improve our moods. I know I could prove in an experiment that if I could add the scent of fresh mown grass to the next World Cup, you would say the, the games were just that much better, more enjoyable, more engaging, more immersive. I could prove that scientifically. But then if I asked you why did you enjoy the game so much, you'd say it's just a great game of football. What I call a sort of fundamental misattribution error that we will not attribute our pleasures to smell. And in one of my favourite studies um, of some patients in hospital who were not sleeping very well, they'd been on sleeping tablets for, I think, for two years or more each. And that puts you to sleep, but it doesn't give you the right kind of sleep. And then in um, a study, they took them off the sleeping tablets and then put them on lavender-scented ward instead. And they actually slept better and longer with the lavender scent than with the sleeping tablets. All right, so uh, I'm quite into the idea of getting the smell of fresh cut grass. Uh, of course you are. Match. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that would do it all for me, I would say. I mean, quite often I feel like it might be there anyway because they've mowed they've the lawn. They've just mowed the grass. Well, yeah. I don't know. I mean... Not sure they call it a lawn, do they? <laughs> also, you're not close enough to it, are you really? So they, they need to pipe it through the stadium, basically, mm. wherever you are. The thing with this is... I have spent a very enjoyable, and, and for various reasons, uh, I've had longer than normal to prepare for this for this episode. Right. We don't need to go into the uh, the vagaries of our scheduling, <laughs> but that is what's happened. And in some ways, that's good news. It's bad news for you because I've done I've done oh, loads no. of research, <laughs> and I found it absolutely fascinating. And I don't, I honestly don't really know where where to start but i think possibly the best place is just to say that smell 
has been basically ignored by science for a really long time. And people just didn't think it was it was important. Um, and so that there's 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 a whole sort of range of scientific luminaries through the ages who have who have disrespected smell and oh, basically really? said, yeah, yeah. So so Darwin said um, it, it provides an extremely slight service to humans. No, it's, it's not, really? not, not important to humans. Um, Immanuel Kant said uh, it's the most dispensable uh, and ungrateful sense. Oh, that's interesting. N- yeah, no, no interest. Uh, people have called it a kind of brutish sensation. And there's this kind of idea that animals rely on yeah, other yeah. animals rely on rely on scent and kind of sniff each other's asses and stuff. But we've kind of graduated beyond that. So we we've evolved we beyond we've the evolved point where it's beyond. like it doesn't really matter to yeah. us. So so even to the point where there was there was books about human physiology that didn't have Chap- like medical books that just didn't have chapters on on smell because <laughs> people are like, well, that doesn't really, yeah, we can just leave. But that I mean, you alone. can. I guess what they're saying is you can live without it and you can live perfectly adequately. So, so right. it's like the icing on the cake, really, in some ways, isn't it? Smell for us. I mean, obviously, there's some some warnings like you smell some food and you think, mm. ah, okay, that's off. I won't eat that. But if you think about the sort of the fundamental nature of smell, because what smell is doing is it's telling you about your immediate chemical environment. Yeah. And and so if you if you go right back into uh you know the the evolutionary tree and the path. So when life first emerged what it would the, the first thing that it would have learned to do really is is smell or have some sort of sense that was like smell yeah. detecting its chemical environment, knowing whether to move towards something, away from something, yeah, yeah. what it needed more of, what it needed less of. And that is all, effectively, that, that's part of the chemosensory system, yes. which is smell, taste, and then this weird thing called the trigeminal system. Oh, tell um, me more. So they're, they're, they're as you said, they're, they're related. The trigeminal system tells you things like the spice from pepper, the kind of the fresh coolness of mint, yeah. like the bubbles in a fizzy drink. That's the uh, trigeminal yeah, yeah, yeah. system that's doing yeah. that. Taste, as you probably know, is doing just... Well, we, we used to think it was just five, actually. So we used to think it was sweet, sour, salty, umami, bitter. bitter. And now we've realised that there's a, there's a fat one as well. Oh, is so it's it? actually okay. doing, it's, it's doing right. six. But everything else, so all of the kind of the detail, the fine detail of flavour comes from comes from smell. Yeah. So for example, if you didn't have a sense of smell at all, Sprite and Coke would taste exactly the same to you. No. Yeah. There'd be you, you just wouldn't be able to tell. And and, and what happens with uh, not so much with liquids where it's just evaporation, but with foods when you chew, it just kind of releases volatile material and right. it goes up into your yeah. up into your nose and and you smell it and that's what informs. And then you think that's taste. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. but they're so closely related that it's sort of it's not an artificial distinction. It's okay. just a part of the same package, yeah, part of the yeah. same, this, this chemosensory system that's yeah. detecting your, your your environment. It's literally just, you, you. it comes from over there, a molecule comes off it, you yeah. interpret what that molecule is, and yeah. you know something about that thing that's over yeah. there, and that's kind of it, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And, that, and to be honest, that's pretty much how people were happy to leave it uh, for quite <laughs> yeah, a long that's time. That's science. That's science done. Yeah. Yeah. So we, so we think it's just, yeah, it goes in your nose and your brain says, oh, yeah, I recognise that. Yeah. But people were, for a long time, thinking, oh, it must work in a similar way to to vision. It must be like, you know, so we have rods and cones um, in, in our eyes, four four different types, and they, and they produce, you know, and, and they... That, that that's enough. Like we can we can make everything we see with that. Yeah. And so people thought, oh, there's probably something like primary colours, yeah. but for smells. Yeah. And and that just and that's not true. So do you know how many different types of smell receptors there are in your nose? There's hundreds. Yeah, four hundred. Four hundred. Four hundred. Okay. And and then millions of them, but four hundred different types. Yeah. Of, uh, yeah. of receptor. Yeah. Um. And so then you start thinking, okay. So the combinations that you can so it, and it's not oh, just going to yeah, be yeah. like four hundred factorial, no, because it's also going to be measuring like the different intensities yeah. of them. So you then end up with a scenario where actually the the range that you can smell is I mean it's not going to be not going to be infinite, but it's going to be a very very large number. Yeah. So the thought of well maybe you can just come up with a, a list or a map of all of the smells. 
that feels all not quite intractable, but nearly intractable. Really? Well, you, you can't just no. you can't just create a massive spreadsheet of this means this and this does it. And if these two receptors fire or these three receptors fire, then well, there is you've got. You, people are sort of working in in odor space and trying to create sort of new smells, smells that have never been yeah. found on Earth before, certainly. And the idea is that your your, your nose would still be able to smell them, yeah, so even though it's never you come just across have to them develop before. a new language for them. Well, and that is actually one of the key differences. That's one of the many differences between vision and smell. Is that certainly in Western languages. If you think about how often we use uh, sort of visual metaphors to talk about stuff yeah, and how much language we have and vocabulary we have available to describe things visually yeah. versus how much we have to describe smells, like it, it's chalk and cheese. Like you just, we just don't have the, we just don't have the words. We don't have the way the, the ways to describe smells. So when a wine expert says, oh, that's got a really sort of woody aroma, is it not really woody? Is it just? Is that just a word that they use for the so, you know for a particular chemical? So this is kind of fascinating because I, I, when you watch wine tasters or you hear wine tasters, you think, well, obviously you're full of shit. <laughs> it turns out they're not. So what they've done is they have created a, a language that that works to describe smells. But more than that, when they're saying. Oh yeah, I'm getting the um, a bit of the like fresh tennis balls when you just opened, uh, yeah, opened, yeah, a, yeah. <laughs> opened a, a carton of fresh tennis balls and you, and you just think, well, of course you haven't. But it's quite possible they have, or certainly very similar molecules, yeah, um, that would be emitted by the tennis balls uh, uh, coming off this wine as well. And what they've got is they've just got a, a huge sort of set of benchmarks, sort of reference smells that they can refer to that we. You know, people who haven't done that yeah. don't don't have. But genuinely, if they're saying, "Oh, this one's quite sort of leathery," then the molecules that they're getting in their in their nose there are probably the molecules that would be coming off okay. some old leather. So they're, they're not, not really making. They're it actually up, not. They're not making it up. I'm glad to hear that because I know a couple of people who are quite you know big in the in the in the wine tasting world. You know? Yeah, but that I like that, to think that they know what they're doing. That is genuinely surprising, though, isn't it? Yeah. But by the way, if they you're listening, I didn't like think you were a charlatan. Yeah, you, I mean, you did, but everyone does. You, you watch it and think that can't be, that's got to be a confidence yeah. thing. And obviously there's a lot of bravado in it as well. Yeah. But, but it's uh, literally a skill set I don't have and a vocabulary could, I don't have and an experience I don't have. So, so But it, you could train yourself. I could train myself, yeah. You, I can't afford actually, their fees, to be honest. No, fine. But if money was no object, you could train yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And if you do sort of functional smell training, just doing it for six weeks, not only will you get better when you test yourself, but also you can literally see uh, a specific part of your cortex getting thicker. Wow. In just six weeks. That's incredible. Mm. I mean, I don't advise doing the self-brain surgery thing, but... Um, no. A friend of mine is recovering from COVID and lost her sense of smell, and she's training her sense. She often finds yeah. her sniffing half a lemon. Yeah, but, and, but that's, and she's retraining her her senses. She says it's a really it's a really good idea. I mean, obviously, smell research has has spiked since COVID. Yeah, because of course. You've got all of yeah, these yeah. people suddenly becoming much more interested because when you speak to people who've lost their sense of smell through COVID, they talk about feeling like really freaking out. And feeling like they're isolated and sort of disconnected from from the world, and it just yeah. feels like everything's wrong and everything's a bit confusing. And and loads of people saying this, and it and it it starts to make you realise that actually smell is much more significant in our day to day lives. We're just not that conscious of it. But if you take it away, yeah, we we really we really feel it. And then there's this horrible thing that's that's happening not to everyone, but to some people who've gone anosmic, when they recover from COVID, they end up with parosmia. And that's where you are detecting the smells okay, but then you're misinterpreting them. Oh. So you'll smell coffee and it'll smell like shit. Like that sort of thing. <laughs> oh, and, and for some no. reason, it seems that it's bad smells that you end up with. So you're smelling something that previously, you know, like like a rose or whatever it and is. And that's in the brain, not like in the rotting. nose, presumably. But they they actually don't quite know. Fundamentally, we don't really understand how the brain identifies smells. 
But presumably, or, or you've got similarity to another. The receptors smell. in your nose haven't changed by but, COVID, but the interpretation. No, I don't know. Well, we don't know why you lose your sense of smell, do we? No, no. That's wow. People aren't blocked up with it. That's, no, that's the thing. No. It's not a sort of like uh, oh, I've just got a really nasty cold and I'm just sort of you know snotty. It's yeah. not that at all. So something is happening, and genuinely, people aren't quite sure what, wow. and they don't know. You know, if it's almost, I suppose one way of picturing it is like an old school telephone exchange. If you suddenly just muddled up all, all of the, the wiring, yeah, yeah, it almost feels a bit like right. that. But so, what, so when, what the mechanic of that would be, it's not clear. So when Dr. Charles is putting on the uh, lavender aromatherapy for your night and all you can smell is shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like, no, <laughs> no, it's not working for me, it off. Afraid, Charles. It's turn not it off. For me. <laughs> Let's take a quick break now, but we'll be back after this to discuss how businesses are using scents to make us buy more, how smell plays a role in attraction, and of course we'll be asking this week's expert, Professor Charles Spence, is there a perfect scent? 
with the smell of lavender, something like that. And you think, how can that be on mice? I think they had to, you know, have had a much bigger dose of lavender than we might use uh, to scent our bed sheets, but nevertheless, sort of suggesting that there might be these, sometimes these direct physiological consequences of of, of certain uh, scents. But the other one I, I, I often refer to is heliotropin flower, uh, which is the smell of Johnson and Johnson's baby powder. And again, when I sort of sprinkle that around people uh, as adults, they sort of can find it pleasant, sort of familiar, but they can't put a name to it with it unless it's got the packaging with it out of context. Uh, and you think, well, that must be a learnt thing that somewhere in our, our deep unconscious, we remember our uh, earliest experiences of being pampered and powdered and put to bed, and, and hence that one is yeah, probably a bit more learnt. So let's talk a bit about uh, lavender because um, uh, Charles seems to want to talk a lot about lavender. Or, or is it because today's episode is brought to you by yeah, the by Lavender Marketing Board? Lavender. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so lavender has been, as I said, it's been used for a long time for like scenting bed sheets and stuff. Yeah. And in fact, the name lavender comes from lavendera, which means have I got that right? I think I have, which means laundress. Yeah, yeah. In Spanish. Yeah. So, and, and the laundress would use lavender to scent the bed sheets. And it has long been thought to have a, a kind of sedative or, or, or calming effect. There's not been a lot of scientific or, or, or clinical research done into it. But you have to say that, you know, people have been, I mean, in, in literature, it's been referred to since the kind of 17th century. And you assume it's been used for much longer than that. There probably is something in it. Yeah, almost certainly. The studies that have been done so far wildly conclusive and and the thing that really complicates it is that smell entirely unlike vision is context dependent and context adaptive so if you think about you think about vision it doesn't matter where you are in the world your vision is working in in, in the yeah, same way right like you might sort of slightly turn down the brightness i suppose you might squint but not but not really. For, yeah. It just worked like that. So it doesn't react to, to context and, and certainly doesn't adapt to context. No. So like living in a, in a, in a certain place isn't going to make your, your vision sort of demonstrably different. Yeah. Whereas smell absolutely does. So different smells will be interpreted differently according to, according to context and you will adapt to your, your sort of chemical smell environment. So there's loads of smells that you'll just be so used to that you don't really you don't really notice them. So yeah. like, like the smell of your the smell of your house. Yeah. For yeah. example, your house will have a quite a specific smell. You very rarely will will be aware of it. Yeah. Sometimes if you've been away for a while and, and you walk back in, you might get yeah. hit by it when you first walk in. But effectively you just you, you sort of you filter all that stuff out. Yeah. Like um, uh, living in somewhere that's damp. For instance, um, yeah. you know, decades ago, I, I was living in a place that was damp, and you, know, you just stop smelling after a while, and then you go away for a weekend, or you, you know, go away for a week, and you come back, and you're like, oh my god, this is appalling. Yeah, yeah, but it's it's um, yeah, I, I find that fascinating because it just doesn't happen with any of your other senses. So yeah, the fact that it's kind of so you and immediately that tells you you can't have. That's why the sort of the smell map. The kind of the, the, that you might want uh, to. Yeah, it's, it's it, like it, a shapeshifter. It is absolutely yeah. a shapeshifter. Yeah, and and so there's a there's a classic um, there's a classic experiment actually where you get two vials, one marked parmesan and one marked vomit. Oh yeah. And you get people to you get people to smell them, and uh, people almost everyone expresses a preference for for the parmesan. Yeah. The mixture in the vials is exactly the same. And it's a compound that is found in both yeah. parmesan and vomit. So it, it it smells the same, but it does also smell yeah. both of parmesan and vomit. But because of because you're giving people the context, people will go yeah. for oh, yeah. will go for the parmesan. But it's not it's it's not an error. P- people aren't making an error. That is just how yeah. smell works. Because people will sometimes point to that experiment and say, "Oh, that's a proof that smell is just entirely subjective." But, but no, it's not. But, I mean, you're smelling no. the right chemical, aren't you? Yeah, you yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. You don't know what to, where to file it. Yeah, no, but but your but context tells you, and so yeah, your, yeah, your, exactly. your sense of smell figures that out. It's trying to figure out what what does this signal mean given the context. Yeah, and that's exactly what it does. And and that kind of contextual evaluation 
um, that's that is all going yeah. on sort of without you really being aware of it yeah. is is fascinating and, and unique in, yeah. in, in the senses. There's just weird stuff like there's some chemicals where the constant, like the intensity of the smell will change what you interpret the smell as entirely. So there's, there's, a, there's a compound where if you have a low concentration in a vial, you'll sniff it and you'll think, oh, it's grapefruit. And if you have a high concentration of it, exactly the same compound, yeah. it will smell like rotten eggs. No. Yeah. It's great. Or I've, I've got loads of these. Actually. I want to try this at I'm, home. I know, I know. You kind of do, don't you? Um, so fresh cucumbers yeah. smell almost identical to uh, fresh oysters. Oh. Which is a weird Okay. One. You can try that one at home. You can try that one at home if you'd like to. How familiar are you with optical isomers? Oh, I am I a like little bit. Yeah, yeah. So so it's a kind of, it's a, it's a, a quirky little thing that, that, chemists get hard on for mainly and it's when you you have molecules that are absolutely identical so all of the functional groups in exactly the same place but they're mirror images yeah. and people study these and they're quite interesting they're called there's another word for them in enantiomers in enantiomers yeah, yeah. um, this I cannot get my head around this but there's a there's a molecule that in the left hand version I think it is I might have this wrong around doesn't yeah. matter in the left hand version of the molecule it smells of mint, right. and the right-hand version of the molecule smells of caraway. Totally different, but all of the functional That's groups ridiculous. are ridiculous. All the functional groups are the same. So when it goes into your nose, effectively the handedness of the molecule yeah. makes an enormous difference. Yeah, it's a totally so it's different. Like smell. If it was a corkscrew, or yeah, it'd be like right twisting and left twisting. Yeah, it sort of won't fit into the, the yeah. same. Receptor. Well, you, yeah, I, mean, I know that's not how it works, but but, but that, that kind of something. Yeah, yeah it, it's not ridiculous. quite lock and key, but it's something. Yeah. it's something like that. Yeah. yeah, but that's mad, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is mad because it's not just about you know what atoms are are there. It's, no. it's, it's about how they're arranged in such an intricate mm. way. That's incredible. Yeah. Also, at this point, it's worth saying that the 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 previous kind of thought amongst everyone really, and I know it's actually, I say previous, but I think people still hold it, is that humans not only don't really need smell anymore because we sort of were above it, we're not very, we're not very good at it. We don't have a good yeah. sense of smell. And so there was, a, there was a scientist about 150 years ago who looked at our olfactory bulb and said, well, that's small, so it must be, must be bad and everyone just sort of went yeah that's probably true <laughs> but in fairness when you look at the number of neurons in there and you compare it to other mammals we're right sort of slap bang in the middle it's not okay. it's not much better or worse than, than the average the average mammal and also we can do some amazing things we just don't realize it so we can tell the difference between two types of sweat so someone who's been exercising yeah. and someone who's scared Okay. Uh, we do a thing and now I've, I've become obsessed with trying to work out whether I am doing it although it's hard because thinking about it is influencing it but apparently when you shake someone's hand quite soon after you sniff your hand <laughs> like, in, involuntarily it's like a thing that you do to get a sense of the you person you do not because you can get you can tell you've got loads of information about the person from, from their from their odour and so you've been thinking about this do you do it? Well, no, I haven't, but it's because I'm thinking about it. Do, do you know what I mean? I, I, yeah. I sort of, I, I've, I'm messing You're with the stopping system. stopping yourself, aren't you? I, I am stopping myself because every time I think, oh, I'm not doing it, it's weird. Um, yeah, but I yeah. think if I wasn't thinking about it, I would be doing it because apparently that is what we do. Oh, I've got to watch people doing this now. Yeah, that's yeah. the thing. You need to watch people. Yeah. Um, also, you, you kind of you think, oh, dogs are amazing. They can, they can sniff, a, they can follow a scent. Yeah. Someone did an experiment about 15 years ago and got blindfolded humans and gotten to sniff through grass. And we can also do it. We, I mean, we, we? we don't. And we're not as, in fairness, we're not as good a, no. as, as dogs at it, but we can do it. We can follow a scent. Right. Which again, well, I know I what I'm be, doing tonight. Yeah. yeah. Shaking hands and, and, and sniffing around the grass. <laughs> Out with Rafi. <laughs> um, and then and there's quite a famous experiment where you give someone's T-shirt and you can, you can sniff it and you can work out whether... That person, I mean, again, not really consciously. So it's it's kind of it's all weird. But whether that person has an immune system that is similar to yours or different to oh, yours, yeah, yeah, and yeah. if I've it's different, that. yeah, you find that person more attractive, and that's really powerful. Yeah, because 
a different immune system means you want to combine when yeah, you combine yeah. that, that'll be like a super immune system yeah. when you if you procreate wasn't kissing yeah, yeah, meant kissing. to be evolved basically as a way of yeah. sniffing yeah pretty much yeah yeah and 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 some people are, are like particularly amazing at it so there's a there's a nurse called Joyce Milne who could smell people and tell whether they have Parkinson's disease really yeah yeah, yeah, but they, they they tested it, and and people are trying to develop sort of electronic noses now. Yeah, yeah, that would that would allow you to do that because like, and dogs can be trained to to smell cancer. Yes, yeah, um, I have read that. Yeah, because effectively, what's happening is your metabolism is in some way getting getting fucked with, right? And then it's producing some unusual. Products. What was that nurse sniffing? Was it like breath or skin? I actually don't know. I imagine it's sweat. Imagine uh, okay, it's sweat. Yeah. But it could be it could be breath. I mean you you it's metabolic byproducts is what, yeah, you're, is yeah. what you're trying to sniff. Yeah. And I think that either sweat or breath yeah. would, would probably do it, wouldn't it? I mean you could try that as a as a pickup line at a nightclub. Yeah. <laughs> can I Let just, me just uh, check just, if you've I know she's shaking over there. Uh, <laughs> can I just check your metabolic byproducts? <laughs> but but if you think about these these there's going to be some molecules that you're emitting that are kind of mistakes and if you can find what the signature or a signature molecule from a given illness yeah then you could fairly easily come up with a device that would just detect that molecule and give you potentially quite an early warning system yeah for, like for, for a disease and so people are really looking into that and it seems quite actually quite promising yeah and, and people have tried to work out sort of how good our sense of smell is and so they've looked for this thing called a just noticeable difference so effectively you're, you're seeing how much the chemicals need to differ in order to be told apart by humans right and the, 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 the short answer is it is almost impossible to come up with two uh sort of multi-component odorants that humans can't discriminate between really so the smallest tweak at an atomic level, and, and people will be like, it. "People will be like, no, that's not. No, you've changed that." Yeah, I love that. Yeah, it's 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 really good. Actually, <laughs> we're great at smelling. It well, turns I mean, out. I'm personally not, but people generally <laughs> are amazing at it. Yeah, yeah, and and use it way more than we than we than even we, know than we would ever yeah. have imagined. Yeah. All right. Given that we are discovering that smell matters to us, and we're actually quite good at it. I imagine that people have started to monetize this now. You imagine correctly, and I, I asked Charles about it. There has been a huge growth in scent marketing. Uh, more companies doing it, more companies also providing the scent technology. So it's not just a bunch of flowers or an incense burner or something. Now there are sort of machines that you can buy or hire to put behind the counter that will pump out the smells. And the last time I went on a, a store visit with a client down Regent Street in London, and it's kind of like every store, from jeans to handbags to, they all had a scent. And that could be dangerous in as much as we don't normally think about smell, except maybe if we go past a lush store, and then you can't think about anything else. <laughs> but normally we don't think about it too much. It sort of passes under our consciousness. And, and if it's affecting us, making us buy more, and this is what the sensory marketing firms and those selling those machines claim, I think the effects aren't necessarily always as big as the marketeers would have us believe. When the scientists who aren't necessarily supported by industry do the studies, the effects tend to be smaller. Huge surprise. <laughs> <laughs> I would never have guessed that the scientists were being paid by the guys to be like, yeah, I think it works. <laughs> but it does it, yeah, it does seem to it does seem to have some small effect. And and one that we are not conscious of, so we so can be manipulated through smell. Yeah, yeah. So if you think about what you're trying to achieve with that, so if the primary sort of aspect of the product isn't isn't smell, so you're not selling a perfume. Yeah. Um, then what you're trying to do is get consumers to sort of just generally give a more positive evaluation to their yeah. experience in your put in, them in, in a good in, mood in your store. Yeah. Uh, you want them to maybe spend more time in there, you want them to revisit more, and all of this, obviously, in order to try and get them to spend more money. Yeah. And it seems like it is possible to have a, yeah, a small effect, which is why when you step into, as Charles was saying, step into all manner of shops now, 
you may well notice that there is a, a kind of signature yeah, odour. Yeah. And someone will have been paid a lot of money to develop that. Oh, that's nice. I mean, bakeries do it. I mean, supermarkets do it with bakery smells yeah. and coffee smells. Then yeah, it's part of the reason why they have cafes in yeah. there now to get pulls people in because everyone likes those familiar smells. How many molecules do you think are responsible for the smell of coffee? I think it's just one. No, no, yeah, of course it's going one. No, no, I'm not going one. I'm going to go 127. 800. 800. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I like that. I like good it. Good stat. Good stat. Uh, the Louvre the art gallery commissioned a load of top perfumers to come up with scents for eight of its works right and and they're they're trying to do something slightly different they're actually trying to enhance people's experience Experience. yeah 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 Yeah. but in a way that people hadn't really thought to do it before don't know if that has worked that was quite recent that they they commissioned that i mean it's money for old rope in a way isn't it you just put a I'd, bit of sandalwood down I'd there. You're, say you're so. basically laughing. Have you just? Is this just? Is this just oud? Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is just oud. It's quite lazy. <laughs> quite lazy. Is that lavender? <laughs> is that lavender with the Mona Lisa? <laughs> yeah, uh, all right. So, so we're learning stuff, and the businesses are exploiting it. Yeah. But can we exploit it for ourselves? Like, yeah, you know, is there something I can do to enhance my life apart from obviously lavender when I go to sleep? That you know that we've learned from science, effectively. Yeah, it's quite selfish, but yeah, predictable. <laughs> uh, but I was wondering too, uh, so I asked Charles. Taking the insights from the commercial sphere and saying this is what they're doing to us with music and scent and, and lights. So why don't we take that knowledge? and use it for our own benefit and well-being. And that could be everything from scenting your home. And for those of us who are you know, doing all these Zoom meetings and Zoom fatigue and thing and stuff is a thing these days, then simply by changing the scent in whichever room in the house you use for your office, uh, that can like trigger an olfactory reset that will sort of take the stress away. Because if we're in a stressful meeting, we associate the smells of the space. So a bit like you know, when you go to the dentist and you smell the usual, that kind of clove scent and you start sweating and panicking that's not a bad smell by itself it's just what we associate with it and if you change the smell of the dentists to orange suddenly people are a lot less stressed than they were uh, before olfactory reset i quite like that yeah it's good isn't it it's really good yeah, he's, he's definitely used that before yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and i'll be using it in future <laughs> So I know we're sort of working towards the idea of what is the perfect smell, mm, but mm. it's obvious to me now that like there is no perfect smell. It's like a perfect for a certain situation. So if I wanted to attract a member of the opposite sex, then... Big if. Yeah, it is a huge if, yeah. to be honest. But imagine that I did, mm-hmm. rather than, as I tend to do, just trying to repel them all the time. Yeah, you what, had what, success with that already. Yeah. <laughs> That's done. <laughs> what, would be the, what would be the smell I would go for? Well, I've actually asked Charles that as well. It's not just what people look like or what they sound like, but it's also what you think they smell like or the smell when you see them. And that can affect judgments of attraction, certainly. And we did some fun research uh, with uh, Lynx, one of the, you know, sort of the young boys' uh, deodorant brand. And that's always premised on the sort of strap line of a spray bend and bonk. The ultimate attractant, at least for young girls of, of young boys, but they never actually tested it. And we did experiments in the lab here in Oxford in the brain scanner, having uh, young women rate the attractiveness of pictures of men. And then we just sometimes pumped in the smell of links, sometimes the smell of flowers, sometimes the smell of body odour, and sometimes the smell of uh, sort of burnt rubber. Don't see what happened. And people's judgments of the attractiveness of those faces were actually modulated by about, about 10% more attractive. By putting links, yes, but in fact, it was really any pleasant scent compared to you know the bad smells of body odor, which is probably what a young boy might otherwise smell like, or or or, or burnt rubber, which is going to be a bad smell, but not really related to a person. I mean, links would be sort of happy with the results there, but also he's basically <laughs> saying any sort of nice in quotation marks smell will do it. Yeah, it doesn't need yeah. to be links. No, okay, just as long as it's not yeah sewage, lavender. Yeah, lavender obviously will do it. I mean, I, I didn't love the phrase spray, bend and bonk. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, mainly because uh, I don't quite... Maybe I do know where the bend comes in, but I, was, oh, I just don't think the bend needs no, to be there. No, it doesn't. Spray, doesn't. spray and bonk feels enough. There's, spray, bend I mean, and bonk. No, there's, there's, a better, there's a better phrase somewhere, isn't there? Spray and lay. <laughs> Get, get, I'm calling Charles back. Spray and lay. Stop saying spray, bend and bonk. <laughs> it's spray and lay. Spray um, and lay. I'm pleased with that, actually. Yeah. That's good. Have you sprayed? You won't get laid. 
It's all coming together, isn't it? Oh. I'm weird. We're, we're open for offers, by the way. Is, yeah, it's sponsored by Lynx Java. You'll know why. <laughs> Just hope they don't send us a big crate of it. <laughs> but I think this sort of what this comes on to is something I think is really important is what is it about fragrances that makes us like them? So is it innate in some way? Like are there kind of universal principles whereby humans like some fragrances and dislike some others? Or is it cultural? Right. Which feels quite plausible. Yeah. Or is it personal taste? But those feel like the sort of the three contenders and it's probably going to be a mixture of I mean, it must be a mix of the three. I mean, certainly the cultural thing, because don't we all smell like milk to people from East Asia? Yeah. Because they don't drink milk, so they don't have that kind of natural, you know, metabolic byproduct yeah. sort of going on. So so we smell sort of odd to them, but, but, you know, none of us would smell each other and say you smell of milk. So we no. just... I mean, that's, interesting. I wonder if that's changed with like the fact that people aren't drinking cow's milk anymore. Maybe. Maybe we smell less milky than we used to. Well, that'd be a touch. Don't know. Yeah, like yeah, yeah, no, milky. I don't like the idea of smelling milky. But I mean, there's clearly going to be cultural stuff where. So actually, the Johnson's baby powder. Yeah, is, yeah, is, yeah. is an interesting example that Charles gave. Where if you haven't used Johnson's baby powder, or if it's not used in in your country, then you may not have any particular association with it. Yeah. Other than, I suppose that you're probably whatever the flower was. Maybe that is a nice smell, anyway. I yeah, don't, I don't, maybe. Don't know, but but actually, lemon is quite good. So citrusy lemon smell in certain places, and and sort of in the in the west mainly, but not exclusively. You'd associate that with with cleanliness and freshness, yeah, yeah. and cleaning products and stuff. Lemon fresh. But if you come from a place where there's loads of sort of lemon groves, then you might associate it with kind of rotting citrus fruit. Ooh. So you'd have a very different association with it so it feels like culture would have a really big influence yeah but no one had really done a, stu- a proper study because all of the studies were done with people who who were sort of growing up in the same in the same countries yeah, yeah. and so then you've got the, the the culture is effectively the same so you can't really strip away stuff so someone did a study with nine different groups of people from really diverse settings so urban dwellers to literally to sort of indigenous hunter-gatherers to horticulturalists, people who in very different chemical environments. Yeah. And then they got them to rank, I think it was 10 different, like simple monomolecular odours, just because for this, just yeah, a bit more yeah, straightforward. Yeah. And, and just rank them from best to worst. Yeah. And the results are, are really fascinating. So only, we'll have a guess, like in percentage terms, how much of the difference was accounted for by culture. If they're monomolecular, they're going to be fairly sort of natural smells. So I think maybe 20%. 6%. Yeah. Really, low, really low. low. Yeah. And then quite a lot. So 54% just personal taste. Right. And then and then the rest, 40%, just universal principles. So actually, your likes and dislikes when it comes to smell are quite constrained. Yeah, because they're going to be quite hardwired by evolution, aren't they? Like rotting meat, don't touch it. Yeah. You know, off milk, don't touch it. Mm. I don't know. I just sort of, my gut was telling me that cultural influences were going to be really massive. And actually, they're they're fairly negligible. That's, that's much smaller than I thought. Yeah. Which I think probably tells us what Charles is going to say in answer to our question. Is there a perfect scent? Let's have a listen. We like some scents more than others. So one might think, you know, the perfect scent is the one that's liked by most people of all. And that might take you down the, uh, the route of, well, maybe vanilla ought to be the thing. That ought to be the perfect smell, given recent research suggesting that is the smell. Cross-culturally, people liked the most. And yet, probably, one also has to bear in mind that you know, many of our thoughts and feelings and experiences in relation to scent are actually conditioned by experience. So others, you know, might say, well, the perfect scent is a smell of a new car. It makes people feel so good, but it's not in the chemical structure of the scent, it's just because it's associated with a high-value item. So we've learnt that that's such a nice smell. Uh, but most of the, our responses to smell are of that type. And when you put that together with the fact that we are all anosmic, you know, forget COVID for a while, we are all unable to smell some number of scents. Uh, for about 1% of the population, maybe it's vanilla they can't smell. 
I can't smell cork taint in a bottle of wine. We've all got some number of things we can't smell. That means that probably any given scent will not smell the same to all people, nor necessarily be smellable by all people. And so we might need to personalise the answer. Yeah. You would, which is a bit frustrating. I mean, I'm glad he didn't say Lynx Java. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I would certainly have smelt something there, a rat. Uh, (laughs) Or or actually, if he said lavender. Yeah. I'd be like, oh, come on. (laughs) So, yeah, I guess vanilla is a decent bet. Yeah, it, it is a good one, actually. Because people across cultures like it, but not everyone does. And so there isn't just a definitive, this is a thing that everyone... So my thing with grass is more emotional than... It's not a shared sort of you know human Pro- experience. Probably, yeah. I would guess. I guess if you cut grass for a living, you're probably not. It's like, sick of it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this again. <laughs> Eureka is a stacked production presented by Dr. Michael Brooks and Rick Edwards. The production team is Temi Adebayo, Katie Baxter, Luke Moore and Charlie Morgan. Sound design by Katie Baxter. Special thanks to today's expert, Professor Charles Spence. Please subscribe and rate wherever you listen to your podcast. It does make a massive difference. We also do really love hearing from you guys. So if you have a burning science question you want answering, drop us an email at eureka at stack.london or you can find us, as always, on Twitter at EurekaPod. Thanks. Eureka is a Stack Production and part of the ACAST Creator Network. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.